Good morning, church. You get your Bibles, and you're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, aren't you? And so we'll take a look at the Scripture there. We want to talk about the topic of God is more than able. And so these are a couple of verses that you probably uh, know, have some familiarity with, and maybe even have them memorized. But do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel that your belief about the power of God is different from your faith in God exercising His power for you? I mean, do you ever read the Old Testament and you thoroughly believe that God parted the Red Sea? You thoroughly believe that God fed Elijah with food from ravens? You thoroughly believe He sent down fire from heaven? You look at Jesus and you thoroughly believe in the miracles of causing the lame to be able to walk, the blind to see, and even raising the dead. And you even believe in the resurrection of the Son of God Himself. All of these great miracles and the power of God being demonstrated. And you believe those things. But yet, that belief is different from how much you believe that God will exercise His power for you. You see where I'm coming from? You get what I'm saying. Do you ever read these things in the Bible and just assume that although they're true, God has no interest in exercising His power in your life? Now, it's, it's easy to feel this way, for God rarely, even in biblical times, rarely does He interrupt the normal course of life in order to interject some undeniable miracle. Those are rare, by the way. You realize that, don't you? God doesn't just go around like P.T. Barnum looking to put on the next show for people. You know that's true. But you read those miracles in the Bible and you think to yourself, God never does anything even remotely like that in my life. And maybe you're not looking for burning bush. Maybe you're not looking for the resurrection from the dead for somebody you love. Maybe you're not really looking for those things. You know better. But yet even the things where you do have need, you really don't believe that God will exercise His power on your behalf. Because really you're nobody. You're not even the Apostle Paul. I mean, you're, you're not even a first century believer like these Ephesians, uh, these people at the Church of Ephesus. I mean, you're not that. I mean, you're the 21st century living in Chillicothe, Ross County, Ohio. And so, what can we expect from God? I mean, we don't get to witness a reversal of the law of nature. So, does that mean that God has stopped working and He's no longer working out His purpose in the lives of His people. And he never does anything astounding and unexplainable. That He has stopped doing those things that if He does not do them, they don't get done. Let's let the Scripture remind us of something about God today. And that is simply this. His power is indescribable and it's also inexhaustible. And so let's let the Scripture create faith in our hearts again about the God that we love and the power that He has 
unto those who love him. So you have your Bible there in verses 20, 21 of chapter 3. You know the section. Let's just read them both and then we'll talk about it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power. The power at work within us. Not out there. Not at the Red Sea. Not where Noah's building the ark. Not where fire came down on Mount Carmel, but within us. That's where the power is. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Just as clearly as I can, I want to highlight God's power in this passage of Scripture. First of all, in the first half of verse 20, you see God's power is partially explained. Originally, I wrote down this point and said God's power is explained. And then when I reread that it is far more abundantly than all, we could ask or think, who am I to say that it's explained? It's partially explained here. We can impregnate the words of the language and they give birth to a thought but it still falls far short of an explanation of God's power and so look at his ability his ability is power it surpasses our petitions he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask Paul describes God's power and God's ability by piling up some superlatives here. He invents words. What he does is he takes a word and then he jams it up against another word that it doesn't go with and he puts super in front of it. And so what he's saying here is that God is able to super do more super abundantly than all that we ask or think. There isn't a word, there isn't a collection of words in the human language to describe this. This is bad grammar on Paul's part, but it's excellent communication. He's explaining to us that he's just going to take a a pile of words and throw them in there and say, there, and it's not enough. What the Bible is saying here is that God's power is exhaustless. And then beyond that, take whatever word you want to put in there and then say more than that. Any word that you want to use to describe God's power and God's ability, just be sure that you add on the end of it, but it's more than that. No matter what word we use, it's not enough. Language is insufficient to express the power of God. Language has its limits. God's power does not. This verse now, to be clear, does not give us permission to be careless and greedy without ask, with our asking. We are not allowed just to be careless and greedy. I mean, some of you have already written down, oh dear God, make me handsome. Too late. So it's, this is not a blank check as the prosperity gospel preachers will tell us. 
that you just got to ask. And the reason you don't have is because you're not asking. And so you got to, in faith, ask for that new Cadillac. No, anybody with any sense would look at this passage of Scripture and understand what we have just said. The bad thing about bad theology is they use good verses from the Bible. But they use them with no context. This is why topical preaching is so dangerous. To grab two verses out of the Scripture and go to work on those without having any previous work on the chapters leading up to those verses and the chapters after those verses is dangerous. So what has Paul been talking about when he's telling us to ask? What has he been talking about? He's been talking about this. That you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in, his inner, in your inner person. To the point that, with the result that, Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And we talked about the meaning of that last time, that Christ would come to the place that He's fully content and fully at home in your heart. And anything that needs to be swept out is cleaned out. And anything that He wants to move in gets moved in. And that your heart actually feels like home to Jesus. That He doesn't feel like a guest. And so that's a miracle of God. But isn't that just for the super Christians? I mean, isn't that for the ones who really walk close to God? It's really not for people like you. And that you may be strengthened to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know by experience, the word know there means to know by experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. For you to know something that's unknowable. For you to experience on a daily basis what it means to be loved by Christ and to be loved to such an extent by your heart that you can't even explain it to someone. That's what you're asking for. And the way to summarize that up is in verse 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That God would have you completely, thoroughly, 100% as His own. Now you and I know, and we just talked about a minute ago, the damage that original sin has done upon us. Adam opened Pandora's box and we have breathed in all of the curses from that box. We have willingly ingested and inhaled all of the corruption that sin has for us and we have damaged our souls so that there is no place for Christ. There is no place for Him to feel at home. There is no place where we can actually experience the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. There is no possibility that we would be filled with all the fullness of God because we're filled with all the fullness of self and sin. Unless, as Christians, we begin to understand that it is the power of God God that does that in us. We have a tendency to think that sanctification, the growing into Christ's likeness, is in our own hands. Certainly, there are practices that we have been commanded to keep. 
We have been told to study the Word of God. We've been told to pray without ceasing. We've been told to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We have been told to observe the Lord's Supper. We've been told to fellowship together with the saints. We've been told to disciple one another and build each other up in the faith. Certainly those are practices we have to put forth the effort. But I would say this to you. That without the power of God, those things are satanic. They bear the label of Christ, but they deny the power thereof. They trick people and fool people into thinking that they really are doing something for God. And it's the false religion of Satan from the beginning. It's Cain's religion. It's the religion of the Tower of Babel. It's the religion of of all of the Old Testament, of all the pagan nations, what we're going to do to get our lives right with God. And what God is saying here to us is that there is such a work that must go on in the human heart. And I will command you that you must participate in these practices, but don't you ever forget this one thing. It is by the power of God at work in you. Without the power of God at work in you, none of these things happen. None of them. And so, He can do far more abundantly than all we ask. What do you want to be, dear Christian? What kind of Christian do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? Have you ever thought through these things? If you don't keep a vision... For God before you of what you want to become and how you want Him to form you to be more like Christ, then you will fall for things that the world offers. There are substitutes out there. And so you must ever keep before yourself, these are the things. And I know I can't have them without the power of God. The same power of God that's at work in me, that's the power that has to change me so that Christ is at home in my heart, so that I begin to really know by experience the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, and that my life becomes so filled with God that I'm filled with His fullness. That's God's dream for you. His dream for you was not just that you would get out of hell. His dream for you is beyond that. We have just failed to ask. Instead, we concentrate on reducing the inconveniences in our lives rather than setting our hearts on the increasing of holiness in our lives. His ability surpasses our petitions, but His ability also surpasses our imagination. All that we ask Or think. Have you ever thought about something but you were afraid to ask someone? It's just too much to expect. And so you think it but you don't ever ask it. You may think it but you wouldn't dare ask it. We have a a relative that has a lot of money. I don't know how he's going to spend it before he dies and man something in me just wants to ask for a hundred thousand dollars it just does but I'm not going to ask it I might think about it but I'm not asking that but don't we do that to God 
the children of Israel, the prime example. These people are prime example of this faithless kind of living. God had told them this, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. All you got to do is open your mouth and, and I will fill your life. But instead they refused. The Bible says they didn't believe God. They refused. So what happens? They live their lives wandering around in the wilderness, faithless, hopeless, and lost. Are we ourselves living the same kind of misdirected, purposeless existence because we dare not ask God in faith to do what only He can do? We dare not ask God to draw that unsaved husband toward Jesus. We've written him off. He's too hard-hearted. We no longer ask God to save those men that are working on the line with us at Kenworth. They're too far from God, we say to ourselves. It would take a miracle, so we'd better not ask. Let's target those people that we think we can win to Jesus. Right? And so, we don't ask God. We may think it. We think to ourselves, maybe, well, I wish they would come to Jesus. But we have decided that God's power is just not enough. I'm trying to teach you something here at this church. And if there's anything that you ever learned from me at all, I'm wanting you to learn something. People don't come into the kingdom because we get creative and cute. People come into the kingdom by the power of God or they don't come at all. It's the power of God that has to be at work. God's power is measured by changed lives. But have we just given up on these people? Have you given up on that wayward child? We've written them off. We really don't believe in the power of God. We're like Israel. We just don't believe. God has said, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And we're saying to ourselves, I don't think you will. I'll I'll just take care of it myself. And so we mill around and eat lean cuisine all the time. What God is saying to us here is an explanation of His power that it surpasses in a way that the human language can't explain everything that we may ask or even think. We don't have the capacity to even think of the vastness of God's power. So God's power is at least partially explained in verse 20. Here's something else that it shows us as we progress. That's the objective side of God's power. There's an explanation of it there. But there's a subjective side as well. And that is God's power is personally experienced. And notice he says in verse 20, according to the power at work within us. What is the measure of his working? According to the power, the power. We're able to look and see God's power at work as recorded in the Bible. However, God's power is not only meant to be studied, it's also meant to be experienced. Paul here talks about the power. You see those words, the power, not a power or some power, but the power. What power is this? Of course, it's God's power, but what is it about this? What, what is the reference point here? 
Well, we're told in the first chapter of the 19th verse that the greatness of His power is immeasurable. No one can measure the greatness of His power. We are told that this is the same power that raised Christ from the grave. It is this same power that even though the Ephesians were dead in trespasses and without hope and without God in this world, chapter 2 tells us that the power of God had taken out of them the heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh, a soft heart, so that they could trust upon Jesus and be saved. It is by this faith that they are declared righteous by God. And it's by this power that the Jews and the Gentiles are reconciled into one new people. Not a new Jewish nation, but the church. It's by God's power. Sometimes we look at things in the Middle East and every president that comes on board has some plan to broker peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Every one of them. Have you ever seen one of them work? They don't work. Why don't they work? Because only Christ can break down the middle wall of partition. We have Christians in our country today that are chasing after things like CRT and BLM and all kinds of political activism thinking that they're going to fix the issue in this country. But I want to let you know that only Jesus can break down the middle wall partition. He's the only one that can take two groups of people and make them one new humanity under His name. No one else can do that. What's going on out there now is nothing but power struggle, political power struggle. That's all that it is. It's not somebody getting justice. That's not it. It's people grasping for power. Why? Because the human heart is wicked. And without Christ, we just do wicked. The measure of His working is according to this power. This, How do you measure? How do you define this power? It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it is the same power that calls dead people to life. Those who are dead in trespasses are called to life by the power of Christ. It's that power. Now what are, what's the means of His working? Well, it, it's at work within us. God doesn't work often apart from us but he usually works among us and within us we could if we were to take the time we could relate story after story after story after story of God's power at work in the history of this church The problem with us is we all have a tendency to look at the things that bother us rather than capitalizing on the things that God does among us. We could talk about all kinds of things that God has done. And it's easy sometimes to talk about the things that are temporal Land and property and buildings and so on. And those things are great accomplishments. Let's don't belittle those things. Those are a big deal. But that's not 
the big deal. Amazon builds buildings too. That's just money. The power of God is in the changed lives of people. Now, for us, one of the problems that we have is we see people make some kind of move toward Christ and then walk away. And over the years, you see that enough and you start thinking to yourself, well, the power of God doesn't really work. We forget some things. Number one, there's only a remnant. There's always only a remnant. There's always only a, a smaller group. There are always tares. There are always weeds among the wheat. It's always that way. There have always been a problem of people who profess one thing with their mouth, but their heart's far from God. It's always been that way. But what is wrong in God's name of looking at those whom God has saved and that God is working in their lives and saying to ourselves, the power of God has been incredible in that person's life. Some of you were saved as children. And you don't have a big, long sin story. And so you give your testimony and you think it's going to be anticlimactic because you don't have a big, long sin story. You... We're not the drummer in a rock band, so you don't have a big sin story to share. You know what story you have? The power of God. That He placed you in a situation that as a child, you got to avoid all of that sin story. And you got to come to Jesus as a child. A sinful child, yes. But one without all the damaging consequences of the sins that adults commit. That's the power of God. And we don't emphasize that. And notice this also, the means of His working. He's at work within us. It's plural. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't work in you individually. Of course He does. But the indication here is this. As you have a connectedness to the people of God in your local church because this is the definable and organized church. We talk about the church at large, which is a reality, the church of eternity. All those who have ever followed Christ from the beginning of time, that is the church. We talk about that. But that's awfully hard to define and pastor and discipline, is it not? It's awfully hard to check the credentials of someone that you really don't have that kind of interaction with anyway. But as we see it here, there is something about your connectedness to the people of God that evidently increases the power of God at work in you. If you extract yourself from the people of God and decide to live your Christian life on your own, Maybe you're going to be a monk and go live in a cave somewhere, which is not all bad sometimes, right? Maybe you're going to go to a monastery and take a vow of silence. That would do some people good. Amen back there, you. So, but here's the reality. As much trouble as the people of God are, as much as we fail... As, as much as we don't ever really live up to the ideals that we hold. 
As much as we daily fall short, as much as we daily sin, there is still something about this that God has chosen, that it is through our connectedness, our covenant relationship with one another, that His power is most effective in our individual lives. That is an undeniable truth from Scripture. So God's power is to be personally experienced. It's the power, the same kind of power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that you're to experience in your life and it's at work within us and that includes working in your life because of you're one of the us people. Now, let's look at this. I'm scaring myself because it is before 12 and there's a possibility I could finish this. Shall I start another sermon? It seems ungodly. God's pa- I, the reason I, I want to get finished is because I want to mess up Pastor Dan's schedule on the order of service. I want to prove him wrong for once. He, he's, he, he's usually right. It's bad. God's power is purposefully expressed, though, here. Now, here's the expression of this power. Where's it going to happen and how? To Him, that is to God, be glory. So you understand, when His power is expressed, then He gets the credit, He gets the praise, He gets the attention, as is right and good, not humans, but God. And so to Him, to Him be the glory. So Paul started out, now unto Him, he's talking about God the Father, to Him be the glory. And so where? In the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what is the location of this expression of God's power? Well, we've already been talking about it, but let's hit it again. If the location is in the church and in Christ Jesus, His power is at work in the church. Here's something that is hard for us to swallow. It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to believe. But it is the fact. The most glorious and clear experience and expression of the power of God is within the context of the people of God. There is more of the power at God at work. And it may be silently at work. It may not be dynamically at work. There may not be some kind of lightning bolt from heaven. You may not see the burning bush or any of those kind of things. But the scripture here is telling us that the primary work of the power of God, it's at work in the church. That is the most glorious and wonderful expression of the power of God is among you. You. Can you believe that? You, you don't need, you don't need to see the feeding of the 5,000. You don't need to see it. You, you don't need to see the healing of the man by the pool, Bethesda. You don't need to see that. You, you don't need to see the funeral where Jesus touched the funeral pyre of the, of the boy and, and he, he was raised to life. You don't need to see that. You say, well, I would like to see it. Well, wouldn't we all? But I want to tell you, there's more of the power of God at work right now among you and in your heart and in your life than all of those events put together. It's in the church. It's in the church. And so our church is boring. Yeah, it's boring. Have you ever noticed how God works kind of in a boring way. And then you look back and go, whoa, look what God did. 
He works. His work is going on. His power is at work in the church. And when we connect with the people of God, we see His power at work. We see lives changed. We see sinners rescued from hell. We see families restored. We see the gospel advanced around the world. We separate ourselves either physically or emotionally from the people of God and then we wonder why we don't see the power of God in our lives. Julie and I, we have, I'm going to call it the privilege, I don't know if it's a privilege, but we have the opportunity to talk with people and members of our church that go through things and bad things. And sometimes things they bring on themselves. We all do that, don't we? We bring stuff on ourselves. We sin and then we got to deal with it. And here's the first thing we say to them. Don't run. Don't you run. Because the embarrassment and the shame, the first impulse we have in our hearts is, I'm going to a different church. Because we don't want to face that. And we just tell them, if you do that, and you can do that, but if you do that, you will never, ever, ever have a chance to see the power of God work in this. You will never see it if you run. Don't run. Why not? Because it's in the church. His power is expressed in the church. Now, I know some of y'all are churchers. Jim Rucker was a member of the church at Jerusalem. He knows church. And so, you know, you, you've been around church, and there are lots of times you think, man, I don't know, <laughs> not much of power of God going on here. But if you look over the long haul, you, look, you just look at it over the long haul, it's the power of God. You think about this, even with our church, think about going through COVID and all that. I know that there are people in our congregation that had relatives somewhere that died from, from COVID. What, 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 a, what an awful thing. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. It's, 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 it's grievous. It, it's everything you can emotionally think of that's, that's hard and bad. But think about this. God preserved our church. He preserved our church. This by His grace. Our lot of, lots of churches, they had these vast outbreaks and they had to close down and all this stuff. God preserved us by His grace. Not because we're better, just because He chose to do it. And so He's at work within us. And some of you have grown more during this time than in any short period of time in your, your Christian life. You've grown during this time. The power of God. And it's in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church, His body. And so it's within the body that we experience the power of God. Now, what is the length of this expression of power throughout all generations, forever and ever? God's power will be expressed throughout eternity. And so, therefore, His praise will be expressed throughout eternity, forever and ever and ever. What He has done by His power, what He has done and what He is doing is eternal. Therefore... Praise to Him will also be eternal. So, what do we do with with this? I mean, two verses of Scripture here. What, What do we do with this? Well, for the Christian, again, let's circle back around. We each must ask ourselves this question, Is Christ dwelling in my heart by faith? 
Is he really at home there because I trust him? And whatever he says, he knows that's how it's going to go in my heart. That's the kind of heart that God wants to give you. Some of you are here today and you're fighting Jesus. Yes, you trusted upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are saved. You know Christ. You're following Him. But you're fighting Him. He's got more. He has things He wants you to do. He has things He wants to take care of in your life. He has things He wants to change about your life. And you're fighting Him. I wonder if it's time for you to pray and ask that according to His power that He would do far more abundantly than all you ask you have a relative you have someone that is so far from Christ that there, there's just you, you think to yourself there's no hope I was, I was reading this testimony of a guy this week and he worked for 10 years loading trucks worked on a dock with some guys as loading trucks and there's like a crew of 10 of these guys and so they worked together. He was the only Christian. And he kept trying to tell these people about Jesus. And, you know, over a long period of time, and he's trying to tell them about Jesus. And, of course, they make fun. And they, you know, are always challenging his view. And, you know, he, he, he says that at a point he got to himself, to, to, to the point he said to himself, Am I, is my Christian life just not good enough where they believe? I mean, I know they've seen me sin before. I know I don't do everything right like I ought to as a Christian. I know I have sinned. I know I've failed. I know I haven't witnessed like I ought to. I know I haven't prayed for them as much as I should. And so is it just me? I, you know what? What is it that I need to change about my life? Is something's not working here? And he was getting toward the end of, of the time he was going to be working there. He was going to be moving on. And one day, one of the guys came to him, the biggest guy. And said, Gary, uh, tell me about Jesus. Now, get this. He said to him, is this a trick? Because this guy was a big prankster. You know, the, the, the lost guy's big prankster. And he thought, man, he's getting ready to make fun of me and stuff. So he said, no. He said, uh, I've got a problem. And he said, okay, what's your problem? He said, my brother is in Oakland, California. And he's been put in prison. And he needs to know about Jesus. Can you tell me how to tell him about Jesus? So, weird request. So, this Christian guy tells the other guy, this is how you come to know Jesus. He said, thank you. So, the lost guy makes a trip to see his lost brother in prison to tell him about Jesus. The brother in prison gets saved. The brother in prison begins to tell other people. They get saved. He gets on the phone and tells some of his family members. They get saved. Where did you hear about this? Well, I heard about it from Phil. Phil, is Phil a Christian? No, Phil's not a Christian. How does he know about these things? Well, somebody told him at work. So finally, the brother in prison calls Phil and says, let me tell you how to get saved. And he comes to know Christ. The issue, even though as a witness, you have to be convincing with your life. That, that is true. But that can only go so far because you have sins, you have flaws, you have inconsistencies, you have inabilities. So, dear friend, let me just say this to you. It's not going to be the impeccability and the flawlessness of your life that wins someone to, to Christ. It's going to be the power of God. And so who is that person in your life today 
that you're thinking to yourself, there's no way. They're so far. And you say, preacher, I've been praying for them. Okay, it's time to pray differently. It's time for you to be on your knees and say to the Lord, Lord, I've tried everything and now I put that before your feet as nothing. Everything that I've done is nothing. The one thing that has to be done here is the power of God. Oh God, the one who raises people from the dead, would you bring this person to life by your power? I don't care how you do it. If it's by my life or by my death, I don't care how you do it. Just bring this person to Jesus. That's a different kind of asking. Some of you are, have a problem with doubting your salvation. You have a lack of assurance. We're talking about the power of God here. What did Jude say? Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Unto Him be glory. What are you doubting? Get your eyes off of yourself and your ability to believe on Jesus and get your eyes upon the power of the One who is mighty to save. He saves, He keeps. That's what he does. It's his specialty. Check out his credentials. You've got to shift your faith from all of yourself onto Christ. And when you do, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, will become your song. What about this, though? What about a person who is not a follower of Jesus? What, what do you do? You're, at some point, you're going to have to believe God. You say, no, preacher, I believe in God. No, 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 no. You, you, you believe that some sort of God exists, and, and that's a good thing. Thank you for that. But that's not what we're talking about. You're going to have to believe God, that God is true, that what God has said, that's what He means, and that God, who is the Creator of all things and every person, that each of us owes Him our unquestioning obedience but each of us has failed we've rebelled against him he already told us that when we do that that the penalty for that is hell you've got to come to grips with that reality well I'm not that bad of a person you're lying to yourself you're just lying to yourself remember you, you don't go into the courtroom and get to interpret the law for the judge the judge will interpret for you how you broke it He's the one with the gavel. He's the one that sits on the bench, not you. And it's the same thing with God. We don't don't get to bargain with God. God tells us how it is. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's what God says. But in God's grace, He sent His Son into the world who lived a perfect life that you could not live, took that perfect life and allowed it to be nailed to a cross, to shed blood, to experience the wrath of God upon your sin. He rose from the dead on the third day. So now there's a living Savior that's offering you something. Here's what He's offering you. Put all of your confidence 
in Him being judged in your place so that you don't have to bear the penalty for your sin. And put all of your confidence in Him now to direct your life rather than you. That's what He's telling you to do. You say, well, 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 what does that mean? You put your confidence in Him totally and thoroughly, without question. And the Bible says, whoever believes the Son has life. Life. Eternal life. That God loves and God saves. And He does it through His Son. Some of you today, that's what you got to have. There is just, that's where you are. And you got to have it. You say, Pastor, it's, it's embarrassing. What, what, what do you want me to do? I'm going to want you to walk down the aisle in a minute. I'm going to tell you flat out. I'm going to tell you something right now. If I put a million dollars up here on this table and said, whoever wants it, come and get it, you'd have no shame about coming to get it. I'm telling you about something that lasts. I'm telling you about something for eternity. I'm telling you about the treasure that's worth selling everything for so you can get it. That's what we're offering here. We're not offering play. We're not offering religion. We're offering Christ. So it's, it's worth being embarrassed. It's worth having your friends snicker. It's, it's worth all of that, that you may gain Him. So you have to choose. Well, can God save someone like me? God is more than able. More than able. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us your precious word. Lord, thank you for reminding us of our inability and your surpassing inexhaustible ability. Thank you for reminding us again how small we are and how great and mighty you are. Father, I thank you that you even remind us of our sinfulness so that we may marvel at your holiness. I ask you, Father, that by the power of the Spirit of God that you would work in that heart and turn it toward faith in Jesus. So that that person, that woman, that man may put their faith in Christ today and leave here free. Father, I ask that you would do that marvelous and majestic work in their lives that they never imagined or thought about. I pray also, Father, for Christians here today everywhere living way below the standard of what you have in store for them. Perhaps they're living a pretty good moral life and they think that's the pinnacle. And they really haven't come to that place where they know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Living by experience and knowing on a daily basis, even feeling it, the love of Christ in their hearts and lives. I pray, Father, today there would be a change. And they would have the faith to ask knowing that you can do even beyond what we ask or think in an abundant measure that we could never measure. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.